Very good evening, everybody. I very much hope you enjoyed the film. Uh, my name's Dave Calhoun from Time Out, and the film's distributor, Studio Canal, have uh, very kindly invited me to host this evening's, uh, the second part of this evening, the film's Q&A. And I'd like to welcome to the stage the director of The Beatles, Eight Days a Week, Ron Howard. Thank you, thank you. Ron Howard, welcome to BAFTA. Yep. Just about 500 metres from where the Beatles performed that gig on the, on the roof in Savile Row back in uh, 1969. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, great. Good to be back, always good to be here. I enjoy this place. Um, very quick intro to yourself before we start talking about the film. Uh, you've previously directed uh, far too many feature films to, uh, <laughs> to mention, but they include Rush, Frost Nixon, Cinderella Man, The Da Vinci Code, uh, A Beautiful Mind, Apollo 13, Splash, and the upcoming Inferno. Um, also, I think it's re relevant to mention here that your, your life in, t in film and TV began many years before that in front of the camera as a child actor. And I know you've said that it's something that's helped you reflect on, I mean, you were never as big as the Beatles no, or no, let no, alone Jesus, no, no. but your, um, <laughs> it's, it's helped you reflect on what it meant for those young men to be thrust into the limelight. Yeah. At that point, would you say would you say that's true? Yeah, well, the at the height of uh, Happy Days in like the mid 1974, 1975, as it was becoming this sort of global number one sort of pop success, uh, we would occasionally go to places and do public appearances and things like that. We didn't play instruments or try, thank God. Uh, but, uh, you know, a lot of people would show up, autographs, 10,000 people, 12,000 people, and it would get kind of crazy, and there'd be that thing of jostling the limousine, you know, or somebody, I remember one time somebody grabbed my hat and ran away with it, and even when I had a lot of hair, I, I, I liked my hats, and I wanted to get it back, and I did. I chased this guy down and got my hat back. Uh, but uh, we would all get in a limo, and, and Henry Winkler and I would sort of say, well, you know, geez, this is, this is kind of like Beatlemania. Uh, and so it defined a certain kind of behavior. But you know, in retrospect, as I began working on this movie, I, re I, I, I experienced that a couple times, two, three times, with the number one show that was like a very big deal on every magazine cover and everything at the time. Mm. Kids loved it, teens loved it. And how many times did they experience it? Hundreds, th thousands, who knows? Uh, it, you can't compare anything to Beatlemania and what it meant because of the time that it was happening. You've just seen the movie, but these are all the things that really attracted me to it. The other thing, as a storyteller, and I'm not a, I don't consider myself a documentarian, but of course I had re really seasoned, brilliant documentarians working on this. Paul Crowder, the editor, is a documentary director in his own right, very accomplished. He's also a hell of a good drummer, I'm told. Um, you know, that was important. Nigel Sinclair has, has produced some really remarkable music documentaries. Nigel is the one who brought the opportunity to me. We'd worked together on Rush. And as daunted as I was by it, I was more excited by the drama of it. Because I love stories that kind of combine that idea of families thrown together, trying to accomplish something. And I began to see, particularly in this structure, you know, looking at the touring years, that, that, that there was a kind of a an amazing adventure that said a lot about our world then. It, it revealed a lot about them. And it was, it, was a, it was a story that I found, you know, just infectious and tantalizing. And I, I was kind of depending on, on people like Nigel and Mark Monroe, our writer, and Paul Crowder, who were so experienced as documentarians, to help me 
and to work together to figure out how to get this movie perspective, this narrative that I could see in all of this, um, to to work, you know, given mm. the you know the limitations of a documentary. It's incredibly warm and lively and, and fresh film as well. I and mean, I think I think you're. I mean, you you get a lot of that comes from the intimate feeling we get from that the archive footage of them. Yeah. Whether whether it's offcuts from the studio or when they're on tour, you know, bef before you even get to the tour footage. Well, well, well that sorry. was important. And that, by the way, that was such a huge jumping off place. Before mm. I was, you know, invited to even consider the possibility and to come up with my own perspective. Which make no mistake, I had to, I had to come in, you know, I had to meet with, um, you know, I, I spoke to Paul on the phone, Ringo, mm -hmm. I, I met with with Yoko, met with Olivia Harrison, to yeah. just sort of talk about the approach that I wanted to make because it's still four votes. Yeah, that's still the way yeah, everything yeah. Uh, operates there, and and so then you know I was given the the final cut that I'm accustomed to, and they were they were nothing short of fantastic, but in in getting into it. The reason they wanted to tackle the subject is that they had, they had, over a period of some years, through an archival group, I'm forgetting the name of right this minute, but um, had collected, you know, quite a lot of new footage. Mm. And, they, and they also had these uh, bootleg soundboards. And Giles Mort Martin, <coughs> George Martin's son, who's a brilliant engineer mm. uh, and record producer in his own right, kn knew that he could digitize that and develop the, the, the live performances. So their aim was, look, we've had, got this new footage, some of it's concerts, some of it's behind the scenes. We can extend um, some of the performance uh, uh, moments, uh, scenes, uh, also digitize some of that footage, clean it up, make it a little better to really just see the details of them and their performance. Sonically, we can deal with it. That's a great jumping off place to remind people what a great live band they were during that touring period. And I, so that was a great foundation, and mm -hmm. I knew that that's you know entertaining and compelling and a reason to go see the movie. But I became attracted by the story. Did, did you have a chance to see that or some of that footage before you came up with you know what you what you term your perspective, which you essentially had to you know share with the no with, I, with, I, the, with the with the four holders of the I flare. took their word for it. They'd been they'd yeah. had it, they'd collected it. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you what was new and old in this. Yeah. I'm not encyclopedic about the yeah. Beatles, just as I didn't know how to go to the moon before I started working on Apollo 13. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, but I I I I really came. I could see this great human interest story in all of this, and I knew that, of course, for fans, it was going to be an enticement to have this new footage. But as I began to learn, the footage did offer m more insight into their, their journey on a, on a personal level, and I was interested in looking at it as a group. So we don't get a lot of individual backstory. We, don't have, you know, we didn't take that screen time to do that. I wanted to is make that partly because you can assume a certain amount of knowledge on the part of people yeah. coming to it. Well, you, you, you can, and also you have to make choices, because if we, if we did that, the story is so fascinating, yeah. it then has to be a television series. It can't be this sort of single-sitting movie experience that I wanted to roll out a little bit like a, you know, an adventure story. I, I, I sort of looked at it a little bit like Das Boot, or uh, you know, they're, here they are, they're in, the, they're, they're in this thing, and, and, and it's pretty mysterious what's going on all out there, but they know they're trying to get from one place to another, and all they really have is each other. It's, it's interesting you say you thought of it as an adventure story, because it does feel like one of the real strengths of the film is that you really stress how this was a new, not only a new experience for them, but an entirely new phenomenon. They, they only had the Elvis, I think we yeah. had the, the Elvis to compare to. Was that, was that important to you, that we, the sense that even for us 50 years later, we're used to the experience of 
bands on tour, mm. the, oh. the fame that comes with that, the mania that comes with that. that it, we were able that's, to understand that this was the, f there were no rules, there was yeah. no context. Well, that was that context. That's that workplace stuff that I like, you know, yeah. people sort of tackling a, a, a challenge and, 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 and figuring out how to work together and, and, and what does that reveal, you know, about, about them. And it, and it was kind of nostalgic. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that at all. And, mm. and um, when I began working on it and, and looking at the research, you know, Mark Monroe, the writer, and Nigel began sort of talking about how no one had no one had ever done this, and of course it began with that basic idea that they couldn't hear themselves anymore, which they talked a lot about, and it's well known. And so I started trying to think of ways that we could, um, you know, kind of express that, uh, you know, through the through the film mm. sonically. Uh, Chris Jenkins, who's a fantastic, uh, you know, m movie mixer, he's also a musician, and uh, and and really just threw himself on the tracks to get to, to mix this movie and brought a, a lot to it. And he and I have collaborated on a lot, a lot of movies, so it was fun to work with him, not just on the, the music with Giles, but also just the, mm. sort of the, the whole um, uh, sonic approach to the movie. It's interesting to me also how it's, it's actually quite striking at how much of an American story this is because of these years that the, yeah. the, the film focuses on, yeah. 62 to 66, and then from 64 to 66, they were spending a decent amount of time in the U.S. Yeah. touring, between which they had to record the albums. Well, it was a couple of things. I mean, first, uh, you know, look at it. I, one of the things that was fresh that I mm. thought we could offer was that this was a this was a director's perspective, a point mm. of view. And so, you know, I I was very aware of the of the Beatles. There were a lot of things that I wasn't aware of, um, but one of them was this increased tension and pressure, and even a level of threat and danger mm. around them. Yeah. As, you know, burning the records and threats and so forth, which, which the guys minimize to this day. But, um, you know, but that, that, was a, that was a fact. And America remains a very violent place. It, that, was, that, was mm -hmm. the, that was the period when we realized, in a way, as a culture, that it, it could be very frightening to be, um, you know, uh, a, a public figure, a controversial public figure. Uh, so I, I think that's both where those big giant tours were going on, but and it's also where there was a lot of drama because you know there 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 was uh, just this um, this pressure. Yeah, I mean the, the big the bigger than Jesus moment and the general moral kickback is yeah. fairly well known. But what was very new to me and I imagine to maybe to lots of people watching here was the um, their their response to racial segregation when they were touring in the South as well. We, we when you when you were exploring that and putting the film, were you aware this was probably a chapter that. The yeah. audience was not not so aware of, and it was you know perhaps a, well, putting a spotlight on a new element of their story. In all of this, I was a little bit of the the alien, mm. you know, in, in that I've always been a fan, I've always appreciated it, but I but not encyclopedic. Everybody else mm. involved in the project, you know, uh, uh, much more so, um, and uh, uh, so they had a sense of it. And then I said, wait a minute, I I knew that they were you know outspoken anti-war. Um, uh, on, the, on the on in terms of Vietnam, um, they made statements, you know, in that area. I remember that, but I didn't know about this, and um, so first it became just you know sort of like an important little moment, and then somebody found this contract that actually had the fact that they you know that it was written into their contract, mm. so that enhanced that moment. And I kept saying, well, that's really huge because in America, it says a lot about them and America because 
um, for them it was just common sense, just a ludicrous idea, and they just mm -hmm. wouldn't have any part of it. And yet they had no idea how, you know, sort of seismic that was in that region in the U.S. So that's kind of important, uh, incumbent upon us, I think, to really remind audiences of that because it's a, it's a compliment to them. And that sort of personal integrity, that ability to just sort of follow their instincts, that willingness to, dedication to it, really, if you think about it, is, is um, probably the, a virtue that I took away from it that I didn't have an appreciation for going mm -hmm. into it. And it, it applied to their ultimate decision to get off the road. It applied to their growth as artists, uh, their, their need to explore as individuals, um, and, and this sort of collective will that they would have to just, you know, routinely, I think, make some really tremendous choices. Mm. I mean, there are two, as everyone will have seen, there are two great new interviews with Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr running, yeah. running through the film. And obviously they're very much behind it. As you yeah. said, there are still four votes, including Yoko Ono and right. Olivia Harrison as well. Did, did you get the sense when you were talking to, to Paul and Ringo that they, they, still, they still enjoy talking about that era? They've still got something to say? They can still find new angles on it? It certainly fills they it were, through the film. But wondering how... how, how how, how far you have to talk, well, how far you have to push the conversation to get there. There were two different interviews, mm. twice each. And, uh, and both, you know, the, the, the guys were very willing and very, very gracious. And, and I didn't do all of the interviews, but I, yeah. I did those. But, of course, with the support of, of, of the team with me. And, um, and, uh, uh, and, and we did want to delve, you know. Mm. I mean, it, it wasn't Frost Nixon. We weren't going for gotcha moments. Uh, but uh, but uh, we did want to delve, and I think everybody involved with this film, and who are kind of encyclopedic about you know what's available, what they've said before, and so forth, all felt that those second interviews were like another level mm. of um, availability uh, to yeah. them. And I spoke um, privately to 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 Paul uh, after oh when we first started promoting it, like a month or two ago, and he said, you know, I've reached a point in my life where I actually enjoy talking about the Beatles, and I used mm -hmm. to feel like, you know, don't categorize me, please. I've done so much since then, and I'm... And I, look, I relate to that. I, I understand that in a way. But he's, he's kind of come to terms with it, and that was another hope that I had. I couldn't be sure of, but I thought, wow, if these guys are really interested in talking about it, I bet there's a new perspective. And we, as storytellers, certainly have the advantage of this perspective of, of decades now to look back on this historically and, um, and, and then this, this other fact, which is just the, the music is still so present in all of our lives, and it's not nostalgia. It's just, mm. it's just great. Did, did you, I think this, this is the first official documentary that they've collaborated on since the end, right? since the end of the band, I think. Uh -huh. did, did you get a sense that they, is, they hadn't really wanted to go there up until this point, or that was... Well, I think so. I mean, I, I again, I, I kind of, I kind mm. of glean that from from the conversation with Paul, and and I, I, th I think, uh, you know, it's look, I, I relate to it a little bit. There was a period in my life where I didn't really want to talk about my acting years. I was interested mm. in being a director. I was trying to be ambitious with that, and then I sort of, sort of reached a point a while back, maybe a decade or so ago, where I felt like, well, look, I, obviously, that, that foundation. That history not only served me very well, um, but it's no threat. I'm getting to do the projects I want to do now. I'm getting to work and collaborate with the people I want to collaborate with. And look, what um, the partnership with Brian Grazer 
has yielded, our company of 30 years, Imagine Entertainment, is, uh, you know, is, it's, it's, it's been amazing as platforms broaden, digital becomes more important, uh, more and more um, um, outlets, ways to reach audiences in more specific ways. It's, re it's actually really exciting. It, it, it's the, I'm very proud of the fact that I got to be a part of it, and yet it's, it's also, and, and you're sure it's a kind of a labor of love, but also, um, you know, one that you know is going to have a broad reach. Mm. And, and so it's not like going off and doing an experimental play or a tiny short film. You actually know you're doing something that, you, you know, you have a chance to speak to people through this narrative the, the way I would any other story. It's really, uh, you know, an exciting time for Brian and I in mm. that way. We've done a terrific job with this. I know you, you said it's only your, your second documentary. The first one was another music documentary you made on, uh, on Jay-Z and a music festival that Jay-Z yeah. put on. When you were thinking about this, did you go back and look at other music documentaries which you thought may help guide you to get to, get to the place you've got to here? Well, I, I, I had done that when I sort of gone through that exercise when I, when I took on the Made in America documentary. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I was relying on this kind of uh, alchemy, this kind of combination of everything that I knew, N Nigel and Mark Monroe and Paul Crowder and, and uh, uh, Mark Ambrose, every, everybody around it knew so much. And I sort of thought, I, I don't want to, I don't want to deal, worry about some kind of, you know, formula that music documentarians have followed. Uh, if if we play into it, we'll play into it. But I want to. Well, I'm. I'm. If we don't, we we won't. I, I want to follow this story. I want to mm -hmm. tell this story of this collective, and um, and everything that they had to navigate to uh, not only get to the other end, but to grow and evolve as artists while they were doing it, and as men. And uh, that's that's that was what I was you know most excited about pursuing. We should start taking questions from uh, the audience. I know we've got another, another 10 minutes. There are two microphones going around, I think, on either side. Can I start taking questions, please? Uh, thank you for that. I haven't heard some of those songs for a long time. Uh, I really, um, it, it started to really uh, resonate towards the end, I think it was in the last 10 minutes, when there was a sequence during A Day in the Life of, I think the song's called, I read the news today, oh boy, mm -hmm. 10,000 holes mm -hmm. in Blackburn, Lancashire, whatever it was. And uh, that just really blew my mind, that whole sequence, because obviously it was reading all the meanings of their life into the song. Mm -hmm. And I just wondered if you'd care to extrapolate what, what when you were actually sitting down putting that sequence together, what uh, you, you know, perhaps it meant to you or what you were trying to say, and so on. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you. It was, um, um, you know, it was an important moment we felt to 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 try to to create a kind of an ending to our film that would also sort of acknowledge, you know, some tacit level that we we know it's not the end of the story of the Beatles, but there is something about the fact that they, you know, here we we've proved the premise that they'd accomplished all of this, they'd gone through all this, they were a great touring band, and yet um, uh, circumstances had sort of conspired to push them off the road. And so this aspect of their lives, they were kind of putting behind them. And so there was something about just that, that growth, the willingness to make that decision. We felt like it was a moment to sort of remind the audience that, uh, you know, that uh, look, look at the journey that they'd been on.
and and then to try to find a way to celebrate this uh, this amazing um, transformation that they made into uh, this extraordinary breakthrough studio band. Uh, it's, it's really kind of stunning. So it was just important to bracket that. I'm glad it, I'm glad it landed with you. It was, we were trying to achieve you know, pr pretty much what you say it, 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 it meant to you. Would it interest you to but go? Let me just say something about their songs, too. Again, Please. I'm not encyclopedic about it, but, but, I, but I've come to understand that when you look across, especially the, the you know the the entire um, um, the landscape of their of their of their music, as the Beatles, even setting aside everything they did after that, uh, there's not a moment that you could describe or a feeling that you could probably have that wouldn't benefit from having a Beatles song. There's the right Beatles song. <laughs> To, 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 to sort of express what, that, what you're feeling. And that's just great writing. And again, it's, mm. you know, it's sort of what was said in the movie. The, the, uh, um, the, it, the, I, it always kind of comes back to you know, story. The play is the thing. I mean, those songs are just tr tremendous. W would you be interested as a filmmaker to go and look at those last, those last years until 69? Actually, focusing focusing on the non-touring years and the last. Well, I, I mean, to be honest, yeah, I'd be fascinated to work on it. But but this came about because they they as the a group decided let's yeah. let's do this. Yeah. And um, I I you know they it's their lives and 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 that's and that's a that's a slightly different kind of story. Yeah. I I think it's I think it's personally a story that's been looked at in a little too simplistic a way. Yeah. I think I've learned enough to kind of have a sense of just how complex and inevitable in some ways all of it was. Um, and um, um, so I think there is an interesting story. I have no idea whether they want to do it. And, mm -hmm. and if, if they don't want to talk about it, and, get, and you know, I wouldn't ever want to get involved in sure. doing something unauthorized. Start taking more questions, please. There's one on the uh, second row here, and I can see there's another microphone going. In fact, if we can take the one that's up there, but get the microphone down here, that'd be great. Thank you. Hi. Uh, th thanks very much for this film, which I think was really gear. Um, um, I love the, I love the focus of it actually. I, I I really think that you know making these films, what you leave out is fantastic, and and you and you really focused on one thing, and that's why it's such a fantastic film. But I'm just wondering if there were things that you would have loved to have got because these things are led by what pictures you can have. Yeah. I slightly missed Hamburg, you know, which seems part of the story. But yeah. would you tell me if there were things that you would have loved to included but couldn't find visual or sound? Equipment to, to, to lead you there. Well, uh, Dealing with Hamburg first, presumably everything there is is there with Hamburg because there was so much. Yeah, there wasn't much that was actually sh shot yeah. there, but but uh, you know that's a really fascinating period and could could be again if we were doing the television series version of it, it would have been you could have done a great hour um, on on that and there and you know as as Malcolm Gladwell defined there, that sort of that period that ten thousand hour uh, uh, experience, but also as as George Harrison said, there was this kind of own kind of adventure of being in this freewheeling post-war, you know, hub. Mm. Uh, you know, there there were there's so much. Brian Epstein's a fascinating um, character. Uh, we you know we we touched on it, but we didn't delve I into it. The relationship with their Mal and the and the guys on the road. I mean, fascinating. It it's on and on. And I I really hope. And this is sort of one other little mandate that I kind of gave myself. It wasn't, it wasn't a mandate. I sort of, I sort of d defined it as one of my objectives. I wanted the movie to be uh, you know, authentic, 
and to honor people who really, really know, who have really you know, dedicated a portion of their lives over decades to loving and understanding the Beatles. And so I, 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 wanted, I wanted to be accurate there. But I also thought I, I, I wanted to service another group, but maybe I was kind of thinking, you know, about myself to an extent, or, 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 or even people who weren't around to witness Beatlemania and what it, what it, what it meant sort of socially. Millennials, my kids, my, my grown young adult kids, you know, to, to, to actually um, think they know the, the story, but then delve further and understand with context really what they did. They were, you know, what pioneers they were, how courageous they were artistically and as individuals. And I don't think it's corny to call it courage. I think they were kind of amazing. And um, uh, so, I, you know, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to delve into that. And that, so that, again, sort of narrowed our focus uh, in a way and, um, you know, had, had to make a, a lot of tough choices. But I hope those people will now go and go further because there are books that have been written and other documentaries to see and so forth that are, you know, that give even more detail. That's a tough bridge to build between you know, aiming at millennials and aiming at fans who know a hell of a lot. I mean, what was the, what's the key to that? What's, what's the, in, in general terms, what's the key approach? I was sort of following my gut because, yeah. I, you know, I, I, um, I and, and also screenings. You know, we did, we, you know, all my last th 30 years, I've been a Final Cut director, but I love to show my movies to groups large and small mm. and really understand, uh, you know, what it's communicating. And I did, I applied the same process um, to this, which I actually didn't with the Jay-Z documentary. That was just kind of a lark. And mm. I wound up having a really, a fun, a lot of fun doing it. It was a thing that came together in a matter of a couple of weeks. Yeah. It was just Jay-Z decided this thing was coming together and he wanted somebody to cover it and he knew, you know, He'd worked with Brian Grazer uh, uh, on the American Gangster soundtrack, and 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 uh, Brian asked me, "Hey, would I ever want to do it?" And I was always a little bit frightened of trying to delve into the documentary world. Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Demi, who's a friend of mine, and of course made so many great music documentaries, along with his winning Academy Awards and doing scripted material. Uh, he and I are on the board of uh, the Jacob Burns Film Center. Westchester County. I asked him about it, and he said, "Yeah, take the leap, man. You just gotta think. You know you the story. Come up with your story, and then and then and then you've got to go, and then you then you just observe it, and then you see what it is really going to be. And it was a it was a clear mm. uh, sort of tactical approach. I did it with the Jay Z, and I loved it. I wound up learning a lot, and I felt like it was really inspiring. This one, I felt I kind of jumped in, and then as soon as it as soon as it sort of was out in the public and on the internet and so forth, I realized, oh shit, don't, I better not fuck this up. This is, <laughs> this, this is a big thing. Uh, and uh, it's the Beatles, of course. What was I? And, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, um, and, and so I, you know, I took that responsibility seriously along, of course, with the team. And uh, Michael Rosenberg is here tonight at Imagine was, you know, and is an exec producer on the movie as well. You know, we had a, those conversations. And so we, we treated this with all the focus, all the care that we would any movie that would ever come out of Imagine. Excellent. I know there's a question set up here. If I could set another one up um, in the middle there, the gentleman there. Thank you. Um, Ron, thank you so much. I mean, it's 
having seen previous documentaries like the complete Beatles and the Beatles anthology, it was so refreshing to see. And as the offspring of somebody who actually went to the cavern back in the 60s, it was refreshing anyway. I just wanted to ask you about, were there any legal technicalities that were challenging in terms of actually securing all the footage and stuff? Was it very difficult to get? Is there anything in there that you couldn't include because there, of a legal issue? There, there, were, there were some photos that we began to work with that ultimately they just couldn't clear. Um, I think most of the footage was okay. I think they, again, they'd been, they'd been collecting this footage for, I don't know, eight years or so before I ever was involved. So uh, there weren't any real frustrating moments where there was live footage that we were counting on to help extend a concert moment or to help bring you inside the, you know, the Beatles uh, world that suddenly was yanked out of the movie. But there were some still photographs that we ultimately couldn't um, clear. Um, but but uh, not, nothing, nothing too painful. Behind the scenes, you know, I think the um, Paul Crowder and the team uh, and everybody at Whitehorse uh, was doing a lot of that heavy lifting and sifting. So probably by the time it got to me, um, it, it had been cleared. I like how you kill the I wish I was there myth by telling us that if we were there, we wouldn't be able to hear it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, so. look, I, I, was, I was doing interviews with, with um, Sir Paul and Ringo today, and, I mean, they, they talk about it, and... and uh, Part, partly what they like about the, the, the film is they can hear themselves and they said, well, hey, we were damn good. We were a good band. Because they by the time they were on the road, I think par, part of what drove them away from it is that they really, there were no recordings that told them it was good. And they didn't feel particularly like they were in command of what they were doing. And yet they had been this incredibly tight band. And uh, I, I think they, they felt like they were kind of, it was a slippery slope. You know, the thing, again, I, it came up today in an interview, and, and uh, I didn't say it, the interviewer did, but can you imagine how much money they were walking away from when they got, went off the road? Mm. And, when you, and I asked the question in the interviews, and, and, I, and, and they gave the same answer today, which is, well, we didn't really think too much about that. And they were just so focused on, you know, they had enough money. Suddenly they had some money, they could buy cars and a house, and that was great. They, these are artists. I'm very inspired by the, you know, and the way they let that continue to guide them. Uh, we've just got time for one more question, unfortunately. I'm going to take the one there up towards the back, please. Okay. Um, thank you for this film, and thank you for coming. Uh, I can't wait for my mom to see it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, I noticed in the end credits, thank you for assistance, had Ed Sheeran's name. I wondered what his connection was to the film. Uh, uh, a, a fan he did an interview, which, which, which I, I think may wind up being in some extras or something like that, but it didn't wind up being in, the, uh, in, in our film. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I, so I didn't even get to meet Ed, but he was, uh, you know, he, he gave us some time and energy. And, and, uh, and, and I think he, you know, it was interesting sort of for us as, as storytellers to hear somebody as astute as that talk about the band. And so even though we didn't feel like it had a place in, in, in the ultimate final cut, um, it, it, his thoughts were sort of inspiring. Just a final question for me. I mean, as you said there, it began as a, quite a few years ago as an archival project, as an invitation to what, a search for footage that hadn't been seen, right. but maybe was in people's attics and photographs as well. What, what would you say are the, the real, real gems of the film? <laughs> Contain, especially for those people who you know who aren't, who don't have any encyclopedic knowledge of what, what was out there, you know, what wasn't available before. Some good handheld stuff, 
that, and I can't even tell you which number it is mm. they're in now, but there are a couple of places we really got to extend some songs and bridge some places where there were just like gaps for some reason, mm -hmm. for some, you know, some footage that had been lost. And they, yeah. suddenly we could use the end of the song and the, and the beginning because they had this bit in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and in an interesting way, a couple of times, they were able to uh, kind of focus, uh, it, it helped us focus on a character. Um, and partly what Paul Crowder did uh, on behalf of the story was take a lot of the scenes that you've seen before, concert moments and, and behind the scenes moments, but re-edit them to focus them on sort of the, the, the individual or the, the kind of idea within the narrative that we were trying to express. Like there's a shot of Ringo in Japan where he just looks miserable. And he was, and he was quoted as saying, you know, I just thought we were crap by then. You know, we were just terrible and not doing well. And you look at that shot and you just feel like he's up there suffering. And that is, you know, so different from the guy in Washington, D.C., where we had that great shot, that profile of him just, just on fire, you know. And, it, and so I, as a director, was kind of looking for those, those places to help uh, uh, define the journey. So re-editing footage that you've seen before in a little different way, I think, also changes the, your, your, um, the way you receive it. Excellent. Well, we're going to bring things to a close. Ron Howard, thank you very much for eight days a week. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much.